You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Our sermon is going to come from Mark 4, 1 through 20. So it'll be on the screen, but also if you want to flip there, I'll give you a second. Again, that's Mark 4, 1 through 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and all the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other, fe- other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others came around him and asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ashley. It's good to be with you all this morning as we open up God's Word together. And we are continuing our series in Mark's Gospel called Jesus, the Servant King. Last week, we looked at these two accusations that were leveled at Jesus. First, that he is out of his mind, and second, that he is under the influence of the devil. And what we saw is that far from being out of his mind or under the influence of the devil, Jesus is the Son of God who plunders Satan's domain, and he does so climactically at the cross. Plunders Satan's domain, makes forgiveness for all our sin possible through his atoning death. 
and causes us to belong to the one new multi-ethnic family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, you all have been like family for us, especially as you prayed for us for a child in seeing and welcoming Silas into our lives, in uh, providing some amazing meals and uh, diapers. I think about that every, every, just about every time I put on a diaper, put on one of his diapers. Um, thank you so much for blessing that way, for being like, like family to us. It's, it's awesome to see the body of Christ at work. Following these confrontations here with the teachers of the law from Jerusalem concerning Jesus' power and authority, Jesus goes on in Mark 4, starting in verse 1, all the way through chapter 5, verse 43, to provide four parables that center on people's response to the kingdom of God. And then four enacted parables, if you will, four mighty acts that reveal the true source of his power and authority. So four parables and then four mighty acts. This morning, we're going to take up then that first parable there, the parable of the soils. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we recognize just the different places that we all come in this place today, Lord. The worries that are on our our minds, the things that on our, on our plates, Lord. We pray that you would help us to set those things aside. God, would we hear your still small voice above the fray. Prepare our hearts, O oh God. Help us to receive the truth of your word. Lord, break our hard and stony ground. Help our unbelief. Open our ears to hear and plant your word deep within us, and Lord, pray, we pray that you would cause it to bear fruit. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Well, as many of you know some of my story, I am from central Illinois. I say that very intentionally, central Illinois, because, thank you, thank you, Brittany, thank you. Uh, a lot of people have the attitude that anything south of I-80 is southern Illinois, Danny, I'm looking at you. Uh, and that's not true. I'm from central Illinois. Although I think the mentality sometimes is that, you know, we're surrounded by cornfields down there. Peoria is actually a pretty sizable city, over 100,000 people. My mom reminded me this week that uh, somebody I went to Bradley with, when they came down to Peoria, they, they were surprised to find a bowling alley in Peoria. They thought, oh, wow, this city's big enough to have a bowling alley. I'm like, well, that's about all that we do. But yes, we have bowling alleys. Just kidding. We, you know, one of the things that I um, remember, though, pretty early on was uh, being able to be behind the wheel of a combine harvester. Now, we had some friends from our church that let us come out and be a part of the, the harvest. And for whatever reason, trusted me enough to put me behind the wheel at age 10, I think it was, probably under very close supervision. But... I remember just the nerve-wracking, just being nerve-wracked by trying to keep those teeth lined up right between the rows of corn as as we went along. Well, friends, that's about as close as I've come to harvesting. That's about as close as I've come to this perhaps agricultural image that we have. Maybe you have come closer than that. Maybe that's even not as close as you've gotten. But the truth is that this passage, as we see here, is something 
that the people would have been quite familiar with. It was a story, it was language that lined up, it was vivid imagery, really, that met the people right where they are, and I love what Jesus does. It would have been well-known and familiar to the people. The fact of the matter for us is that this parable, then, has come to be known as a well-known parable, despite maybe some of our separation from the, the agricultural image of it. And so part of my prayer for us in this time is that God would make the familiar strange and the strange familiar. And what we're going to do first is look at the story found in three movements along the way and then three lessons that this story drives home before arriving at the bottom line. That is the truth of this passage as it relates to us as hearers today. So let's dive in, beginning with the story. First of all, Jesus, we see in verses 1 through 9, Jesus gets into a boat and teaches the crowd that has gathered there this magnificent parable, the parable of the soils. This boat, we see earlier in chapter 3 as his getaway vehicle, right? When the, when the crowds were pressing in, this was a boat that was prepared, and so now he embraces this boat almost as his pulpit or platform in order to teach the people. The people who are in, along the shore, perhaps in a natural cove-like setting, which would have had, no doubt, good acoustics to be able to hear what's going on without even the need of a, a uh, stubborn headset like the one that I have here. But this very large crowd along the shore, that's a word that really stands out to me. The, sh- the word for shore here is used a couple times later in the passage as the word for soil. And so even in this picture at the beginning of, even in the setting of the parable here, we are given a picture of what the sower does. That is, sowing the seed among the people. Here, gathered along the shore, we have the various soils represented. And the preaching of the word. Hearers respond to it in different ways. Verse 2 implies that Jesus taught many parables. Parables, if you recall from last week, simply being simple stories that highlight spiritual truths using comparisons drawn from everyday life. They draw the listener into the story, require careful evaluation, and call for a response. I have this... uh, striking memory of being a part of a a team that was sent to Lebanon and Iraq a few years ago and being able to minister in the Bekaa Valley among Syrian refugees in Lebanon. Me and a a buddy of mine had the opportunity to essentially to preach the gospel in in a couple of different settings and to then be translated by our partners there. And I remember one setting where my, my, my buddy was laying out the gospel and then line by line was being translated into Arabic, and he gave a a key line, and then the translation started, and then it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going. Has anyone been in a situation like this, perhaps on the mission field? It kept going, and then he kind of, you know, took a step back and looked at me like, what is happening? What is going on? Come to find out, not only was it a good translation, but what our partner began to do was to tell a story, to shed light on the kernel of truth that my friend who was, who was preaching the gospel was sharing in that moment. 
I wish I could remember the ins and outs of that story, but it's one that captured the attention of the listeners and left them with one thing to consider. And that's very much what Jesus does with these parables. He uses these vivid, vivid stories to give people a kernel of truth and to see how the seed will, to see what happens with the seed. And that's what we'll, we'll look at here in the rest of the story. The parable of the soils begins with a call to pay attention. Listen. This is a recalling, I believe, of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 that faithful Jews recited daily, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus tells a vivid story that draws from the background of the people a typical scene in first century Palestinian countryside, that of a farmer indiscriminately sowing seeds of grain. This typically happened during the rainy season, about October to December, with sprouting in April and then harvesting in June. But as we'll see, the emphasis falls in the story on the soils in such a way that we could almost call this or retitle this parable, the parable of the soils. In the first three, there is an unmistakable progression that takes place. First, the seed in the first soil never sprouts. Fields like the one that Jesus is describing describing had a hardened footpath that often ran through them. And this seed never had time to germinate before birds came and stole it away. The second seed, so again, think about a progression here. The second seed sprouts, but dies quickly. Often you'd find soil in this setting with a layer of limestone underneath. And so this withering under intense heat also is because of lack of proper rootedness. And then continuing the progression, the seed in the third soil sprouts, but does not bear fruit. Palestinian weeds like the ones mentioned here could grow up to six feet high. They'd have a major root system, but first before sowing, they'd be burned off of the field. So you couldn't actually see where they were. They would grow up with the plants. And in this case, they competed for light and nourishment and would choke out the good plants before they could produce. And so in the end, none of these These seeds, none of these are of any value to the farmer because they do not produce grain. But in contrast, the seed in the fourth soil sprouts, grows up, and bears significant fruit. It's like a contrasting progression. It sprouts, it grows up, and bears significant fruit, yielding a harvest 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This would have been a significant yield in that time measured by the number of grains per plant. But interestingly enough, not every seed produces the same result. And so Jesus in verse nine says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This was Jesus' common way of calling people to listen and to heed carefully. This call to hear, listen, and then he who has ears to hear forms like a frame or brackets around this entire story. And as we'll see this word for hearing becomes the key theme in the whole story. But this call, this call to hear, parallels the Old Testament prophets talking about many who had ears to hear but were deaf to God's call. Some hear, others don't. And that's what's gonna set us up for then the explanation for the parable that we see later on. But first, Jesus emphasizes the secret of the kingdom and explains his use of parables there in verses 10 through 12. If you notice, the seed has its desired effect. 
when a group of people, including the disciples, come back to Jesus, seeking more, wanting to know more. So the parable does the same thing as the sower. Jesus spreads the seed, and people return seeking him. The secret of the kingdom of God is not an incomprehensible riddle. It is not a never-ending puzzle. Even though it is the word in the New Testament for mystery, it is not a mystery in the sense of a, an, an unending riddle. The secret is that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has been revealed and that he has come and he has brought about the kingdom of God. Romans 16, 25 make this, makes this connection when it says, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. That mystery that is now revealed, now made known. You know, many people today seek some sort of hidden hidden knowledge, some sort of secret or privileged information that they think might get them ahead, might help them to make sense of life. I know this is maybe a few, this might be, be dated by a few years, but I think about this phenomenon surrounding Oprah originally and the secret, if you can think back to those days. But as Christians, we have been given the true secret, and this is what Jesus intends for people to hear the true secret by God himself through grace, that is Christ. Christ has come, and Christ has inaugurated his kingdom. You know, a service reading of verse 12 here seems to indicate that Jesus taught in parables in order to exclude or to befuddle outsiders so that they would not repent. But the context of the passage here in his quoting of Isaiah 6, I think is really key. Jesus uses Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 to show that outsiders have rejected the word just as Israel at one point was idolatrous and rejected God. And as judge, God sentenced the people based upon their rejection of him. So Jesus' words in verses 11 through 12, I believe, must be taken in connection to the exhortation in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the focus is on the hearers and whether or not they are receptive to the word. The condition of their heart determines how receptive they are to the truth. So another way of thinking about this. The parables are like a two-edged sword, a double-edged sword. If someone is not open to hearing, the parables conceal the truth. If someone is open to hearing, the parables reveal the truth. Conceal and reveal. Well, in verses 13 to 20 then, Jesus highlights the key nature of this parable and then gives its interpretation. Begins with a mild rebuke, rebuke. don't you understand this parable? It's a warning that even they are at risk. Even those that have come seeking more are at risk of failing to understand. For Mark, whoever does not understand this parable will not be able to understand all the parables of Jesus. It is the key that unlocks all of the parables because Jesus uses all parables to essentially sow, to sow the word. And so in turning to its interpretation, the word that the farmer sows is the teaching that Jesus has been giving all along in Galilee, the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel, 
Mark 1, 14 to 15 says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I believe the seed is a powerful symbol for the word coming to life because inside every seed is incredible power and potential for life. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation, as Romans 1 reminds us. And in the verses that follow, Jesus draws comparisons then to these different types of people and how they react to the hearing of the word. That key theme, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, is that of hearing. This word, for hearing, appears 13 times just in this larger passage, the four parables here on the kingdom of God in chapter four. So may we have ears to hear as well. There seems to be a contrast too between superficial hearing, hearing that is on the surface level, and true or genuine hearing. And the division of the people takes place around those, along those lines. Outsiders engaging in superficial hearing and insiders that hear grow and respond and bear fruit. And so, in the case of the first three soils, superficial hearing leads to what we might call fruitless rejection. These various soils represent human hearts. The first three are inhospitable hearts, but each one becomes more open from indifferent to opportunistic, perhaps, to even more interested. The seed sown along the path has no impact on a stubborn heart and is whisked away by Satan. Who knows the power and potential of the word of Jesus to save if it takes root in someone's life? Seeds sown on the rocky places are people who show initial enthusiasm but wither away under persecution or pressure when it inevitably comes, showing that they were not, in fact, true followers. And then seeds sown among the thorns These succumb to competing loyalties. We could call it the seductiveness of riches and the insatiable desire for more. The desire for material things chokes out, crowds out the desire for spiritual things, the concern for spiritual things. And then with the fourth soil, the seed sown on good soil, true hearing leads leads to fruitful acceptance. A genuine disciple of Jesus Christ one who is bearing significant field, even if those yields might vary, right? Like the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. I believe this parable leads us to three very important lessons for us to consider today. I'm, I'm sure there are others, but wanted us to consider to ponder these three kernels first. Like the sower, God spreads the message of the kingdom, and he does so among all humankind. The sower sows the seed among the various types of soils in order to reap a bountiful harvest. And in a similar manner, God sows the word among the various types of soils in order that it may be truly heard. In the Old Testament, sowing is a metaphor for God's work among his people. We heard this in Isaiah 55 as part of the call to worship 
There is vivid imagery there of a bountiful harvest springing up from the earth, and it highlights the promise that God's word will not return void. It will not return empty. And Mark is intent on showing us that Jesus comes in the same vein as the Father, who is the master sower. Mark shows us that Jesus comes continuing his Father's mission and now calls us to enter into that mission as we carry out the work of the Father, the master sower, Jesus, what he has done in his ministry, and now what he calls us to do, knowing that the word will not return void. Just as God generously sows the word, so should we wherever God places us. I can't help but think about the times, some quite vivid, when I, in my thinking, in my humanness, have written people off, perhaps prejudged a soil, assumed that somebody would not be open to the implanting of the word, and with maybe even withheld boldness as a result. I think this parable is one that provides a reality check. We are called to spread freely and leave the results to God, sowing with abandon on every kind of soil. But it is not up to us to try to figure out who has bad soil and who has good soil. The sower does not prejudge the soil, deciding which soil has potential or not, not not test marketing certain soils to see if they might have the maximum yield, not only focusing on certain groups because they are desirable or perhaps they give more. No, the sower does not prejudge the soil. Like this, this maybe hits a little close to home, but I've seen examples of this, of even ministries that have decided to abandon what they perceived as tough soil, even in inner cities or urban areas, to escape to the more comfortable suburban outlying areas for ministry. No, church. We must spread the word regardless of our perception of the soil. Why? Because we, we are not in the soil sampling business. We are in the seed spreading business. So let us sow openly, freely, as God calls us to, leaving the results up to him. Nor should we be afraid of the risk. Nor should we be afraid of wasted seed or despair over what might feel like, what might feel like failures. Why? Because the harvest will come. The harvest will come. How will we know the condition of someone's heart unless we are actively sowing? And how long are we to sow? I can't help but think about somebody like Adoniram Judson, who's considered the father of American missions, who went seven years in his, in his missions work before even seeing his first convert. This should serve as an encouragement, this passage, to anyone who labors to sow the word. There will be an abundant harvest, even if much of that seed does not take root. So church, let us sow, and let us Leave the results up to God. We don't take credit for the success. God gives the growth. Second lesson for us to ponder. Like the three kinds of unfruitful soil, many hear the message of the kingdom, reject it, and bear no fruit. Some hear the word and immediately reject it due to their own stubbornness, perhaps due to their own hard-heartedness, and the resistance of Satan. 
For too many, Jesus' words go in one ear and right out the other. Nothing sinks in because they turn their back on God. They, they refuse to listen. I think this should serve as a warning to all of us who are, who are busy, who find ourselves on the go, having no time to contemplate and to really think about spiritual things. Some hear the word and superficially entertain it, only to abandon it when opposition inevitably comes. This might have been due to embracing what was an easy believism message and not having the roots to withstand that inevitable hardship where any hint of persecution shrivels one's faith. You know, church, Jesus does not provide a pain-free, does not promise a pain-free Christian life. He does not promise an opposition-free life. Some hear the word and superficially entertain it, only to abandon it when opposition inevitably threatens. I think this is a side note here, but sometimes we might get hung up on this passage because in other ways, we sometimes use uh, a seed taking root as an image for the gospel or as an image for a genuine convert. Do you know what I'm talking about here, perhaps? The purpose of this, the way that Jesus uses it here is the emphasis falls on the fruit. All three of these initial seeds bear no fruit, show in the end that they are all fruitless rejection of the gospel. I think that's an important distinction What matters is who endures and bears fruit. So those those who immediately reject, those who superficially entertain, and then some who hear the word and apparently commit to it only to be enticed by worldly concerns. Competing loyalties. Pulled in other directions. A divided heart. That's... that one of the ads during the Super Bowl, I think, was about keeping up with the Joneses. Do you know the one I'm talking about where it had the various Joneses driving, was it Chevrolet pickup trucks? I don't know. That's not good. I can't remember what the product was, I guess, that I went along with. But so that, is, that is very much what is ta- being talked about here, that sort of materialism, constantly craving for more. Have you heard this adage of how we buy things we do not need to impress people we do not like with money we do not have? Or perhaps it shows itself in the thinking of, if I just, we can do this all day, they're like dominoes. Once I finish my education, once I get that job, once I get married, etc. once I buy that house, then I will be serious, then I'll get serious about the things of God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Money gives us a false sense of security and of self-sufficiency. This soil here is a warning that many begin well, or at least on the outside appear to begin well, but are strangled by the love for the world. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. All three soils ultimately prove to be fruitless and without benefit. And I believe we need to feel the impact feel the impact, and take to heart the divine warnings that are found in this passage, whether it be hard-heartedness, a flash-in-the-pan kind of faith, or divided loyalties that rear their ugly heads in our lives. Third lesson, like the fruitful soil, some hear the message of the kingdom, accept it, and bear abundant fruit. 
The parable, as I mentioned, does the same thing as the sower. Jesus spreads the seed, and the people who have some understanding return, seeking further explanation. And Jesus emphasizes true hearing. Those who truly hear the word accept it, experience steady growth, and bear abundant fruit. David Garland, in writing on this passage, says, the good hearer welcomes the word immediately so that it cannot be snatched away by Satan. The good hearer welcomes it deeply so that it will not wither by persecution. And the good hearer welcomes it exclusively so that other concerns do not strangle it. The farmer ultimately seeks plants that produce grain. Otherwise, they are of no use. And this picture in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, gives us character, essentially character qualities, a glimpse of what fruit looks like in a believer's life, producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We must be committed to growing steadily, bearing fruit regardless of the opposition we face. And if this is not happening in our lives, it should cause us to question, have we truly heard the message of the kingdom in the first place? Has it taken root in our lives? What evidence exists in our lives of genuine faith in Jesus Christ? We need to constantly hear the word. That word for hearing in verse 20 is in the present tense, reminding us that it is something that needs to constantly happen in our lives. This hearing of the word This hearing of the gospel is not something that just happens once at the beginning of our walk with Christ and then we put it up on a shelf and we don't think about it again. No, we need to constantly hear the gospel. And rather than assessing the soil of other people's hearts, I think we need to assess, ask God to reveal the condition of our own soil. What type of soil are we? And how are we responding to the teachings of Jesus? Praise God that this passage ends on a note of hope. It ends on this note that a harvest is coming and it is a reminder that the seed will have its intended effect. And so putting it all together, while God spreads the message of the kingdom among all humankind, there are ultimately two responses, fruitless rejection and fruitful acceptance. Which one are you? Fruitless rejection or fruitful acceptance. Mark 1.15, once more, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May we, we have all maybe experienced this before we, where we've had something go in one ear and out the other. May, not, may that not be the case with God's glorious gospel. My prayer is that the message of the kingdom of God would take root in our hearts, would grow steadily and prove to be genuine by the bearing of good fruit. For someday, there will be a rich harvest. While God spreads the message of the kingdom among all humankind, there are ultimately two responses, fruitless rejection and fruitful acceptance. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would continue to make the strange familiar and the familiar strange, not only with this passage, but with others like it. Would you cause us to truly hear, 
to respond to that truth. Lord, would you cause your word, your gospel to grow in our lives and to bear fruit in keeping with, with that repentance. Father, would you help us to sow, to sow with abandon wherever you place us, wherever you call us, leaving the results up to you. We thank you, Lord, that you, you know the end, you know the beginning and everywhere, everywhere in between. And so, Lord, we trust you. And we look forward to that day when the harvest will come. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.